0: Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach. I'm here with yet another high demand coach, and that is John Cottrell. He specializes in executive leadership coaching and helps successful leaders to obtain what money cannot buy. Things like renewed confidence, killing off imposter syndrome once and for all, or simply giving them the gift of being happy again. John leans on a wide variety of principles and methodologies, which all come together to generate transformational results through driven action. Now with over 11 years of experience within coaching, he's experienced in his craft and his proven coaching techniques have seen him amass a long list of accolades and references. And I can attest to that. I looked up John Cottrell uh, on a Google search before we started, and it was just award after award after award after award. So a very decorated career, uh, a, a, a wide range of techniques. I'm really Interested in diving in on that. But first off, I just want to say, welcome to the show, John. Uh, I'm excited to have you here. And before we get into all of that and how you help your clients, I'd love to hear what were you doing before coaching and how did that ultimately lead you to make the leap?
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. And it's um it's great to be here. Um, I was running a consultancy firm with some friends, um, helping transform larger businesses, predominantly focused on their productivity. And um One day, the client said, and we were in Eastern Europe at the time in Slovakia, and the client said, oh, we really like your coaching. And at the time, I said to him, well, what do you mean? Um, Because I thought we were being smart consultants by getting the clients to do the work. And they said, well, we really like the fact that you sit with our people, they learn, and they get to do the stuff themselves, and then they can do it without you. And you seem very happy to let them take the credit for what you've taught them, which goes down even better. Um, And that particular business, I think it turned over the equivalent. I mean, they, they weren't in the euro back in those days, but it's about 100 million euro business. so It wasn't a small business by conventional standards. It was doing a little better than break even. And I think we took it to 24 million euros of profit on about the same turnover. So there was a lot of hidden potential in that business. And that was the first time a client had used the word coaching to me. And that's what, if you like, lit the fuse for what happened next.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, And so there's a a handful of words that we some folks use really specifically, some folks use a little bit more loosely. But uh, as you're kind of making this shift from a consultancy to coaching, what was the difference in those two words uh, for your experience?
1: Yes, a lot of consultancy firms sell days, and we didn't. We sold the result. So we had a subsistence fee, which the clients all realized, you know, they're not stupid people. They realize that pays our mortgages and pays for our airfares. But at the end of the project, if we didn't deliver the result, we'd have nothing to show for mm. maybe two years worth of work. So we were on the hook with them for the result they wanted to achieve. Um, And sometimes we really struggled to get a result if we couldn't engage the client properly. Uh, Too much of them being uh, stuck in their own comfort zones. And other times we blew the result completely out of the water. One client didn't actually have enough money in his budget to pay us until the following year. So we get all kinds of stuff. So that's the consulting game. The coaching game is much more bite-sized insight. Mm. So you're working with the client far less intensively. And again, that was another client insight when I was at a client's office and he was ranting down the phone at somebody and we're all thinking, oh, we might be next for whatever's coming from this guy that's not in a very good mood. And uh, he goes, oh, that was the other mob. And I said, what other mob? He goes, oh, they're terrible. Whenever they're here, I have to spend all my time with them and I can't get my job done. And we're like, oh, And he said, whereas you guys, you get in and you get stuff going and you leave me alone. It's fantastic. We thought, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) So, you know, if you listen, the clients are telling you what they want and what he wanted was I've got my own job to do. I I can't have you justifying yourselves by stealing my time. Mm. And coaching is brilliant at being that little bite-sized bit of insight they need on a sale weekly or a fortnightly basis. And they get on with the rest of what they want to do. Um, and that's how I saw it when I was coming into the coaching game. Fantastic.
0: What would you say today, now that you're coaching and have been doing it for a long time now? Uh, what would you say is the most important work you do for your clients today?
1: Uh, what I call emotional resolution. Mm. Um, so what that is, is if you go back to the work of um Abraham Maslow. And when Maslow first did his research, um, He he reckoned that he couldn't find enough self-actualized people to study. They just didn't exist. So most adult humans are unresolved people. They are people who uh, really can only take care of their own needs. They don't really see or understand the needs of others. And one of the big box ticks about being a resolved person is your ability to see and understand the needs of another human being. Wow. And so that's that one step changes everything for for somebody, and if they're running a business, it changes everything for all the people they employ and all the people that they have relationships with. Their children, their you know their spouse, their parents, you know wider family changes everything.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, and as I was kind of researching what you do, I, I I noticed that you do spend a lot of time working on what I would call the whole person right it's not just the kind of business coaching i'm going to help you double your profits kind of thing uh there's a lot of techniques that you had in there that included therapy which uh, many coaches i know wouldn't touch with a thousand foot pole right so uh tell me a little bit uh, about how you've navigated this world of coaching one-on-one coaching team coaching and therapy and and how you bring those two modalities together
1: yeah so i i try not to use the word coach actually and i because, you know, people say, oh, are you a business coach? I'd say, well, no, I'm not. I used to be, but I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but I'm also not a therapist in the sense of being, say, a qualified psychotherapist. Um, what I do is based on largely timeline therapy, which was developed by Whitewood Small and um, the guy that passed away uh, last year. Where's his book? Is up here somewhere. Um, Tad James. And it was, I would say it was discovered by uh, a series of experiments that were done, I think, in California in the United States. And that was about 35 years ago. Mm. And then there's a but. And the but is that most of that world is focused on training people to train people. So the people are earning their money by training others. They're not really earning their money by working with The people. And I decided I didn't want to be a trainer and repeat the same stuff every week. What I wanted to do was work with people. So my focus became breakthrough. Mm. And then I looked at what other bodies of knowledge I needed to access to feed into that process to make it more effective. Um, And I've not been afraid of going to sign up with people to get a, a deeper level of training. I've done that with somebody who was directly connected with Tad James. Uh, a very good trainer, but I was able to see and compare how he does things with some of my innovations Mm -hmm. and why uh, some of what he does is really good and where in other places I'm significantly better because I've changed the method based on my experience of working with people to make it more effective.
0: Yeah. How have you found the kind of hard-charging executive that you tend to work with, how did they kind of ease into or like slam into those types of, of modalities? Is, does it tend to be hard work to get them to recognize how it's all it all comes together or does it tend to flow well?
1: Yeah. So I don't tend to tell the client what I'm doing. So um, what I say to them is this, the, the brighter you are, the the harder you're likely to fight me. So I'm deliberately vague because I need to help you, not fight you. And if you're okay with that, then we're good to go. So I'm literally trying to keep their their ego, their chimp, if you like, quiet while I go in around the back and sort it out without the chimp knowing. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, But for most men in particular, um, getting emotional is the last thing they want because they see it as a sign of weakness. Society expects men to be, you know, the strong, silent type. Uh, but actually, that causes a huge amount of problems. And for those guys prepared to sort of step over the threshold and let go of their emotions, their worlds change. Um, I did one recently: a guy in the finance world um, whose friends and business associates have all noticed that he's happier and he's lost weight. So they're all asking him about his weight loss, but uh, he he hasn't really gone into the depth of what he's done he just said well I, I feel I'm feeling good I don't need to drink um, you know I'm fine but actually under the surface he let go of a ton of stuff and most of that the root of it was bullying at school and oh, wow. the number of you know 40 and 50 year olds still carrying the scars from their school days is, is phenomenal um, and of course you know that wasn't anything he did wrong it was something that happened to him and this is Oprah's book with Dr. Steve Perry. It's actually called What Happened to You? And that's the key question. It's not what's wrong with you. It's actually what happened to you is the issue. Wow. So that's what I get into with my clients is what happened to you. Let's help you release that. And then as you become resolved through letting go of those unmet basic needs, that's what Maslow would recognize, um, that you start to move up in terms of your own level of personal development and consciousness. Mm-hmm. You see more how the world works and that allows you to become more effective, whether you're a business owner, an executive, um, a coach, whatever you're doing.
0: Yeah. So you've touched on a a big issue that a lot of uh, men in the business world uh, fight with is getting to that emotional place. What would you say is one of the big challenges for for female executives and leaders?
1: Oh, okay. That's a really interesting question. Because I would say, as a general rule, I know we're generalizing here. As a general rule, women take to the work much more easily than men. Mm. Particularly if it's a husband and wife team, the wife will get it and will be encouraging the husband. That's that's quite common. And then I get the uh, one funny Uh, instance was a a man said to me, well, you know, I've got no idea. He said, "It, it, it doesn't really feel any different to me. Fortunately for me, his wife was standing next to him. And she goes, what do you mean it's not different? And went on a rant about the fact that homework was getting done. There was no shouting at home. Things were nice and peaceful. He was helping out with the kids and the housework. So all this stuff had changed. And he was like, well, it's just the same as ever so that was quite funny that he was still sort of in denial, having let go and, and act it, uh, what's the word, to access to a more peaceful life. Mm. His family and his kids knew, but he was like, oh, no, I'm just the same. And I think the reason he was doing that was because he wanted to keep his distance from his own past.
0: Mm. You
1: know, he had had a terrible past, nothing to do with him or that he'd done anything wrong. But some people, if they have to notice the difference they have to acknowledge that past and that's the last thing they want to do yeah yeah, yeah so it is understandable but it's, it still allows us to you know smile about it
0: yeah another topic that i it's uh seems you spend a lot of time working uh with folks on is imposter syndrome uh and yeah i i think to a lot of folks who are not now that's maybe a more female one scott Okay. Yes, and and that's where I was going with that. And, and it seems like it, no one's exempt from imposter syndrome. I, I think no. it, it shows up all over the place. Uh, but what no. I've found is uh, that particularly female entrepreneurs, especially no, not it's not even especially, but just throughout their careers, there's that constant outside in, right? And and so what is it? What is it that causes that? And and how can folks overcome it?
1: Okay. So, I you know, this goes right back to girls and boys at school. So I don't know what's in the US, but certainly in the UK, um, girls are being seen to be doing better at school than boys. Yeah. And there's this need that they seem to have to want to do well, to get it right and all of that. Whether that's a societal thing or a genetic thing, I couldn't tell you. Um, But what comes out in behavior is a series of limiting beliefs. It might not be, uh, you know, I'm I'm not good enough, uh, I don't deserve it, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, And now I think society puts more on women in in many ways. Mm. So we have to unpack that to enable that woman to release it. Um, And then once they're releasing it, and I've worked with one, I forget how many degrees she had, but I think it was at least three um, graduate degrees wow. and still believed that she wasn't good enough and everybody else thought she was amazing. And yet there's these deep-rooted things from childhood mm. that she was building on top of rather than releasing from underneath. And we had to go in and release that. There were her to become who she really was. Because as when you when you're running imposter syndrome, you're almost denying yourself. And it's really important for people to understand that you you need to have that healthy relationship with yourself. and and when you actually embrace who you really are and how good you really are, again, everything changes.
0: Yeah. And I would say, you know, even, you know, I, one of the traps that, that folks can get themselves into with imposter syndrome is it's not worth me fixing this because I've got, I've got other people to take care of. Right. And, and the reality <laughs> of it is, I mean, you know, this, the reality of it is that the more you take care of yourself, the more capable you are of taking care of others, which uh, I think brings us back to that point you were making the beginning of, uh, and I love the way you said it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that uh, most adults out there cannot see and understand the needs of another human being. Cause they've not resolved their own emotional makeup yeah. themselves. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It and terrible, isn't it? Isn't it? Is, yeah, it's scary. Uh, but but again, the impact of that, right? If you want to take care of others, uh, which uh which for many executives, despite the kind of hard-charging stereotype, is so true, right? There's so many executives out there who want to take care of their team, who want to take care of their family. And uh and I think you've really, really tapped into something remarkable on on how to create that kind of breakthrough. Um, now there's a question I want to ask, maybe kind of put a bow on all of this, and and it's a question I like to ask all my guests, and and it's this. What is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening today knew?
1: Um, It's that emotion is the cause of everything. Mm. Um, So just to expand a little bit, what happens in a threat situation of any kind is our unconscious acts primarily to protect us. It then suppresses that emotion and keeps keeps it physically in the body for resolution when it gets safer. And the problem is it never gets safer. So it's acting on us, um, on our belief systems and on our physical health uh, when we're completely unaware of it. Wow. And very often we find that we took a decision as a small child that still acts on us as a mature adult. And yet we have no idea of the decision that the child took. I've taken so many people back. I'll give you an example. Uh, An accountant running a nice little business, but would never implement anything with her team. And I got the idea that what it was, was she wasn't speaking up. So the reason they weren't doing what she wanted was because she wasn't actually telling them. So then I thought, well, why are you not speaking up? The only reason why you wouldn't is if you were scared to. Would that be the logical thing? Okay, why would not why would I be scared to? Well, probably because someone shouted at me when I did earlier in my life. So I said to her, how was life at home? How were mum and dad? She said, mum and dad were loving. I had a really amazing childhood. I went, okay, how about figures of authority? How about school teachers? She was just about to go, well, that was all. And then she went, oh, there was this physics teacher. I said, "Oh, tell me about him. He was awful. He used to shout at people. He used to throw things. He used to hit people." And then she said, "I said, well, what did you learn from him?" She said, "To keep my bloody mouth shut." I went, "Oh." And then the lips went, you know, in Charlie Brown cartoons when they all go all wobbly like this, yeah. She was doing that, and she goes, "Oh." And being an accountant, she goes, "Oh, I feel really emotional." I said, "Okay." As and she goes, "Are you telling me that's it?" I said, well, you tell me, but that's what it was. So from 11 to early 50s, call it 51, that's 40 years of keeping quiet because a teacher frightened her when she was a little girl. Wow. And there's no way you can blame the 11-year-old for that, right? That was a sensible decision to avoid having something thrown at her or being clobbered or shouted at. But it was still working 40 years later, and there's loads of stories like that.
0: Wow. Wow. Stunning. Uh yeah, there's there's so much in there. And what a great, great story to to pull it all together. Uh I, I want to shift gears kind of one final time and then I uh, we'll will make sure we share how folks can get in touch with you. But I'm gonna actually have you take off your coach hat, your uh your therapist hat, your, you know, fill in the blank breakthrough hat for a moment, put on your CEO hat and talk to us a little bit about what the next stage of growth looks like for you and your business and what challenges you might have to overcome to get there.
1: Yeah, so I'm driven by a vision. So I have a vision for my 80th birthday and creating a more resolved world. Mm. That's what I I want to achieve. I want to achieve a world where we don't talk about mental health problems because we realize it's it's not mental. It's not something people got wrong in their heads. It's not a health problem needing medicine, just emotion. It's really simple strategies we can implement to get rid of it and the more people we resolve the better societies we're going to have which are going to take in turn take better care of the environment and and the planet we all live on so for me if i'm looking at what role i can play that's what's driving me that's that's the that's my big picture of, of what i see the future
0: that's awesome, remarkable. Uh, what a future that would be. Uh, so, John, uh, before I let you go here, I know that some folks are, are listening and 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 that they're, they're, they're resonating with. I mean, there's so many points that you've made along the way. So, how can folks find more out about your work or or how to get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, so my uh, website is breakthroughleadership.co.uk. Um, I think I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, obviously we're connected, I think, Scott. So <laughs> that's a that's an easy second connection. Probably those are the two two easiest ways. Um, Fantastic. And my email address is John at breakthroughleadership.co.uk okay. rather than dot com. So
0: Excellent. Well, John, it was just an absolute pleasure having you on. I so appreciate both what you do and you taking the time to be here with us today. And for those of you listening, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? And just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much we are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes go ahead and subscribe now your thumbs up your ratings your reviews they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team if you want to know more you can go to our website www.scalearchitects.com or you can follow me or the company on linkedin facebook or instagram